0: hey y'all i am katherine mills and you are listening to the crude audacity podcast the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers today we will be turning our attention towards small operators truly the backbone of the oil patch these are families and teams generations deep solidifying the foundation of what it means to be american energy you cannot replace the kind of knowledge experience and grit that small operators bring to the table So today, we are going to concentrate on how these cornerstones are faring in the wake of this industry pivot. Here to talk about it all, Trisha Fanning. Welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled that you're here because your story is truly one of grace, grit, and oil. You pull no punches, you know exactly what's happening, and you stand up for our foundation. So tell us your story. How did you get into oil What brought you here? What brought you to the environmental side of oil? Because that is a big component these days. And give us all the details. So I started in the uh, environmental consulting
1: of oil and gas industry uh, just about 20 years ago, actually. Um, I graduated with a degree in environmental studies back in uh, Michigan, uh, where I went to Western Michigan University. Mm -hmm. I uh, traveled all over the Western region of the United States um, I was an avid skier and a competitor, so my collegiate career surrounded itself with being in the mountains, and then I went back to Michigan to focus and graduate with that degree. So I had you got a...
0: to travel all over because of skiing? I did. That's awesome. <laughs> I
1: did. So then um, after graduating college, I headed west with the expectation to do my master's in Montana. I drove past Missoula, ended up landing in Whitefish, Montana, continuing my skiing, Um, I actually had a secondary degree in art, so I used my art degree for the first five years of my career up there, um, along with staying competitive and also was a professional freestyle skiing judge and (laughs) got paid to love the sport I was in. Um, Then I decided I was lacking in using my environmental degree, so I put my resume out there. Um, That's what brought me to Denver. I came to Denver. Oh, I think it was in 2001. Uh, I worked for a company called Secor International. I took a consulting job uh, in oil and gas. Uh, Our focus was remediation of oil and gas. So you went
0: from being a ski bunny, so to speak, to oil and gas. Did you have any qualms about
1: it? I didn't, not at all. Honestly, I think at that point it was more of utilizing my environmental degree. Um, Graduating in the early to mid-90s with an environmental degree was kind of ahead of the curve, I think, for when things were really coming out to be able to focus as an environmental professional. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I took the job, it was kind of unknowing of where my background with education was going to take me. Um, But I had a passion as an environmentalist um, in a positive slant, more more towards you know, making a difference for what I could to understand the functions of business. Um, you know, growing up in Northern Michigan, I lived in a small town, and of course, amenities to things. It didn't come easy. You know, it was always a drive to get anywhere. So (laughs) it's not like I I lived in a major city. Very much so. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a town of less than 5,000 people. And I think that was my draw, too, when I moved up to Whitefish. I lived in Whitefish, Montana. There was a great ski resort up there, which back then was called Big Mountain. um, Gave me the things that I love to do. Yeah, It was hard to get a job, much over very low minimum wage up there, but I always made it work. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I came down here, coming to Denver was... A big shift in my life um, getting the job I started actually more in the retail oil and gas environment so I worked on compliance aspects and remediation of underground storage tanks UST's Ooh. so one of my first clients then was ConocoPhillips. Phillips oh okay um, so we so you held... got to
0: see the big dog
1: so yeah to speak. the big <laughs> dog so to speak but we were on the retail <laughs> side of things okay so my focus was actually learning how to clean up spills and releases from, you know, historic releases on the gas stations. Okay. Um, and then in doing that, I was always the the astute, you know, employee that if something was discussed in the boardroom and I thought I had an interest, I'd raise my hand and try to get on other projects. So I ended up diversifying and I went into the due diligence aspect and I worked for many other clients in consulting because the best way to keep yourself busy in consulting and make sure you remain uh, a key employee is diversify. Yeah, um, that's a great tip. Yeah, after focusing significantly on the UST programs and learning the ins and outs of, we have in Colorado what's called a leaking underground storage tank program. Mm -hmm. So it allows you to get reimbursed for um, cleaning up properties. So you pay a certain amount for every drop load as an operator to your uh, oil and gas facility and then Um, That is then in turn reimbursed to you if you're in compliance when you seek reimbursement through the state. Okay, so I initially learned the program from the regulation side Mm -hmm. on how to get money back for our clients and then of course in turn was a field technician learning all the soil and groundwater sampling. Um, for removing the tanks. Okay. So I did that for a significant period of time at Secor, and then I saw the writing on the wall that they were looking to probably sell that company. (laughs) And only being probably there for three years, you never know if you're going to go with a merger or a sale. And so I had a desire to do more. Um, I was very much into due diligence. I took an opportunity to go in-house oil and gas. I stayed in the downstream market, um, is kind of what we call it, and I went to work for Bradley Petroleum Company. Okay. Which Bradley Petroleum, the historic to that, was their family was the first gas station, I believe, in 1913, 1914, under
0: Bell Petroleum in Denver, Colorado. Well, lucky them. <laughs>
1: lucky them. Maybe lucky, not so lucky me. But I, I took a huge role as their in-house environmental manager. Mm-hmm. So they operated in three different states, over 54 retail locations at that point. Um, and then they did their own trucking. So they, okay. and they had a multiple subsidiary companies. So they had Bradley petroleum, save A Mat. they did aviation oils Ooh. and things like that. So it was a, I had a learning curve to it, Yeah. but I brought the knowledge to them to be able to maintain their consultants on the outside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, and doing that over the course of the time that I was there kind of brings me up to where I ended up today. I had a few other jumps in between there, but, um, That company was usually utilizing a consultant they had used for many years, and Uh I saw that there was an avenue for cost savings. The company that I'm now with kind of blossomed out of that, but I then took my expertise in diversity and compliance of air, water, waste, but I worked in a multitude of facets, Uh so oil and gas is definitely a longtime background of mine working in the federal you know, in state and local sectors of yeah. compliance. But I worked also in pharmaceutical, chemical, and petrochemical. Mm-hmm. So I learned a, a diversified level of rules and regulations across the board. I I always kind of, you know, what's going on, what's new, what's out there. So you stay ahead of it. <clears throat> I tried to. I, I, I go through what the market's drive is. So okay. during the time that I was at Trihedra, that was the big push on ethanol. You know, <laughs> ethanol was the new thing. Biodiesel was the yeah. new thing. So then it was like... Is it really the new thing? And then what are the rules? Yeah. So we, you know, had federal standards. Then we had state standards. And TRIAD had multiple offices throughout the country.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and so I worked for multiple clients from east to the west coast.
0: That's awesome because you went from like environmentalist to regulatory powerhouse, and on all of that, you were really an entrepreneur taking companies from small entities to right. huge, you know, multi-statewide. Uh, I guess. Domains, which is amazing. Yeah, it's
1: like trying. I mean, I always tried to keep a pulse on where the regulatory environment was going. I mean, you you have to abide by the rules and the regs, whether it's at the federal level or the state, Mm -hmm. or obviously very much, you know, prominent now at the county (laughs) level within the state of Colorado. But, you know, if you don't know what's going on, you see a lot of times when you're working for your client, like as a consultant, you see that there's a potential for an enforcement action, exactly a violation. Well, a lot of what happens is when you're in a mindset and you're working inside an operator's company, whether it's pharmaceutical, chemical, or oil and
0: gas, mm-hmm.
1: you're doing your job. You may be doing your job well, but you don't always have that key person who's looking that the rules changing. Exactly. You know, or something's going on. You don't want to the-
0: be the last to know in regulatory.
1: You don't. And I and I honestly still to this day feel that what happens is there's not this willful misconduct on missing things. You know, I think things are just rapidly changing in the regulatory environment. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have a regulatory affairs person keeping a pulse on what's changing and how it's applicable to your operations, mm-hmm. it's very easy to get out of compliance. Oh yeah, you and know? then
0: that's money. Like, well, that's just correct. really what it is at that point. <laughs>
1: and coming from a person who's been doing this for 20 years, I can honestly tell you that every day, it isn't like you're an expert in all things, right? You might yeah. feel that you're good, but if you're not good to understand or stay abreast of the changes, mm-hmm. and then in a consultant, when you have multiple clients, everybody operates significantly different. They mm-hmm. may be in the same state or the same area, but the operations may differ from one site to the next, and you've got to be able to say how it's how one person's company may have to meet it versus another person. Basically the precedent. <laughs> the that a precedent. Yeah, I mean, just be able to figure it out, and then hope. Depending on the size of the company, you know, how are they going to do that? Yeah, what's their capabilities of doing that? And mm-hmm. obviously, economics come, always comes into play.
0: Well. On this show, we're always talking, uh, just because of basic locale, we we tend to focus on Colorado. But the reason I like Colorado so much is because it is such a case study. Every other state should be paying attention to what's happening here. I agree. (laughs) Because, unfortunately, what passes here inevitably shows up on a bill somewhere else across the lower 48 and even up in Alaska. So what is your feel, what is your pulse on what's happening in Colorado and why other states listening to your particular episode should start paying attention to what's happening at the state local level that's happening here?
1: I think Colorado has been a pivotal state for um, being ahead of the curve for changing regulations. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, current current status of what the state has done I mean with the change of our governor obviously and with his personal drive for what he wants to come out with ahead and I don't know how we put that into terms of what Governor Polis's goals are but obviously (laughs) our paradigm shift to the keep it in the ground movement. Let's
0: call it moratorium. (laughs) Yes yes
1: it's um you know back to that keep it in the ground movement which is which is across the country but we definitely here you know a significant state with a, a significant amount of oil and gas um this is not going to work and we are a net export state i mean it isn't as if this effects of these regulations locally will not mm-hmm. trickle out to all of the states yeah. around here i mean we're already showing the effects of just you know setting the bills into motion right um the fear that it trickles to the market i mean yeah. you have people who aren't going to manufacture in the state you have people wow. who aren't going to put money into our state for Didn't future we just oil get and voted gas. last yes 20th yes 20th that for, is terrible
0: it is terrible i don't know that we're an energy leader
1: we're an energy leader um colorado is definitely a I mean, that we pride ourselves in our oil and gas exploration mm-hmm. and our products here, and I mean, second to agriculture, right? Oh. So, but those those things in oil and gas are the subsidies to our farmers in mm-hmm. order, if there's a bad crop here, you know, they're looking to their royalty checks in order to buy their combine. Yeah. You know, everything's interrelated, and I think, unfortunately, we don't discuss that. We just get on... Everyone gets on this bandwagon of this is better than that, but mm-hmm. no one explains the why or really what the catastrophic outcome is going to be of that. We can't, we can't imma- imagine just shifting overnight exactly. to get rid of oil and gas. It's but not going to happen. But yeah, people
0: think that's going to happen. However, they, yeah, <laughs>
1: they're given the falsehood that that that's something that can occur, right? You exactly. know, someone develops a paper and says it can happen and here's the technology a non-peer and we have. non-peer-reviewed paper. <laughs> non-peer-reviewed paper, not qualified author. I mean, who knows if they have a scientific background at, or at all. I have no But isn't idea. it
0: getting to the point where you can't even get cremated in the state anymore because <laughs> there's freaking natural gas regulations? Yes, I, mean, that's I did ridiculous. read that.
1: I read that um, now that Governor Polis has uh, decided to hire the consulting firm in California that actually is writing the precedent for... No um, natural gas being utilized in new construction moving forward. And now he's somehow jumped on the bandwagon that cremation by fire should not occur. That there's some new technology that we should compost ourselves. I mean,
0: in all honesty, (laughs) how are we going to hide evidence if we can't burn bodies? (laughs) This is just getting to the point of ridiculous. But let's jump to the small operators because across the lower 48, Colorado being the main case study we have small operators that are the foundation the cornerstone of the oil and gas industry and we have been introducing regulation that the first person you are going to kill off are the small operators so what are you seeing from the regulatory standpoint of what's happening amongst this group this team and honestly it leads up to even our trade organizations that are supposed to be protecting us and it's questionable at this point
1: yeah i think it's you know it's very difficult so um the development of what we've done with small operator society really grew out of that i mean the the makeup of this state is very diverse Mm -hmm. in in the type of operator Um, obviously we're diverse in lithology and formations and 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 where our operators operate throughout the state is not just solely the dj basin exactly so um unfortunately we focus on that like they focus on you know, the Bakken for North Dakota. Yeah. Um, we well, focus- that's
0: the whole state. <laughs> it, is, it is the
1: whole state. There are other formations in North Dakota as well. But when you have a success in a county, right, yeah. in a formation, and obviously the county welcomes it, then it becomes the focal point because yeah. it, it, it allows someone to feel that they feel so educated because they can talk about the DJ basin, Exactly. And, and they forget that development in oil and gas is throughout the state top to bottom. Correct. And we are diversified Correct. in... The technology that we use in order to extract that is different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we still have a significant amount of exploration that can occur on the eastern part of the state that wouldn't have to be done by hydraulic fracturing. Correct. I have current operators that are still doing vertical well. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Installations. Conventional assets conventional are assets, still yes. the
0: backbone of the oil and gas industry. Correct. You it's know. not all frac and drill, baby, drill.
1: No, I think. It will always be drill, baby, drill. <laughs> but not everybody has to frack a well in order exactly. to obtain a resource. Not so, in a negative sense. No. no, absolutely positive sense. Um, so what you know with our trade associations, uh, Colorado Oil and Gas Association being our largest trade in the state. Correct. You know they originated probably with a diverse focus that took into account the small operator many years ago. Many and
0: years I, ago, yes. Many
1: years ago, and um, and I think it's just fallen off the with the production of the state you know and the changes throughout the if you say we're a boom-bust state you know at the at the time when it was peak oil right Mm -hmm. and everything was going great here um, and and Kogo was very significant I think that around that time is when you know the smaller operator with the less production and and not enough revenue they really lacked focusing on the fact that they still existed okay and and I think what happened then for the development of what has been created for us to fight in this rulemaking. Um, we, I, myself, and, and another Sam um, Bradley with Impetra Resources, mm-hmm. I you know came to him and we discussed the fact that we needed our voices to be heard. And, and this is
0: how this SOS, is, was,
1: SOS came to be. Yeah, Small so,
0: Operator Society. Isn't that's that clever? Right. I like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was a, a fun little, you know, in this world, if anyone understands oil and gas or, I guess, anything in, in a manufacturing sense or even in a regulatory sense, we work with acronyms. So if you don't <laughs> like acronyms, um, just definitely don't come into the regulatory world for sure. So we um, we had had a statement and, and, and met and I had told them when we kicked off the first rulemaking, I was representing a couple operators that were current clients of mine, which definitely would be defined as a small operator. Mm-hmm. But I knew that they wanted to continue to operate in the state and I knew yeah. that the changes that was gonna be set in front of us through SB 181 was going to significantly affect them. Mm -hmm. Not only economically, but just the fact of potentially what they were planning to do. Because they had plans, right? It wasn't as if they weren't gonna weather the storm. They were just gonna to have to redirect to figure out how to weather the storm with yeah. so many unknowns, mm-hmm. right? And and this was, you know, prior to this all going into effect. So everyone knew something was coming. Right? Yeah, exactly. And we just
0: didn't understand what. And honestly, to this point, we, we still might not really understand <laughs> no, what is coming.
1: I don't think yeah. I, I still think we're we still feel like we're treading water at times for, for what what's next to, to So come.
0: do you think the small operators, I mean just even in the wake of 181 are they regaining their voice or are oh absolutely they, okay good no because... we're
1: working very hard to regain our voice and i don't want anyone to assume that when we say small
0: that yeah explain what small actually means so small
1: t- so in relative to small operator society what we're saying is we're not a major meaning that we're not a pu- we're not publicly traded companies typically mm-hmm. we're private owned companies which literally, when you're talking to the president of the company and the structure and the makeup, this, you know, this grew out of them probably have working for a major back in the day and they decided to get invested into oil and gas. But we're just talking based on asset hold. Yeah. So, um, but then again, small operator society today, we're represented by forty about forty eight operators. That's and awesome. And in, in their assets hold, we're probably one third of the wells within the state. So we, within the forty eight operators that we're representing, we probably have assets of over seven thousand wells. So we are making a huge push to get that statement yeah. out there that. When you say Koga or when you say majors, we're one third
0: yeah, representation of assets how, in the
1: state, and
0: yeah, it doesn't. I don't really understand how how prolific y'all are compared to uh, not being represented properly at the table. It's sort. Where did that breakdown start happening?
1: So I think what happened was, um, so you know, Koga obviously their function of of their organization you you know you you have to follow money you have to follow direction with with regards to what you're gonna do you're taking in revenue in order to fight a fight Um, back in and I don't even know the years but I mean they used to have a subset uh, that represented the vertical wells or the small operator Mm -hmm. and I think it just fell off because maybe those you know that be just didn't have enough to to put the effort to say how it was going to diversify and affect them because of course we went through hydraulic fracturing was new and the best thing to go. And Mm -hmm. the the shift was to that way. You know, as it focused for rulemaking, I I work for quite a few majors as well as a consultant, but I was looking at my mid to smaller operator and realizing that they weren't putting a person at the table, right? So they don't have a regulatory affairs group. And even though I'm doing compliance regulatory, it would be best served if my time spent in a room, right, working mm-hmm. through the regulations and the changes in the state, that I could get a broader voice to them, and then tell them, don't feel defeated. I mean, exactly. you have a voice at this table, and and when we go through a normal stakeholders process and mm-hmm. rulemaking, you typically ask for a diversified voice. You know, Correct. there isn't a one situation that fits all in the mm-hmm. oil field. There's several different situations, even at the at the major level side if you could be at you know uh, a 19 well pad and then another 19 well pad they still may have different equipment someone might have one advancement in technology over here and someone might choose to do something different over here Mm -hmm. there's not there's nothing wrong with that it's just a choice you know and and there's and i think honestly in the just even in the last five years you've seen several operators regardless of size get ahead with technology. Yeah, They may have a more significant upfront cost, but they know in the long run it saves them with regulatory burdens mm-hmm. on what's to come. I think for the small operator society, the hard part is staying ahead of those curves and then knowing that on the extraction of a barrel versus technology advances mm-hmm. you got to pick and choose what you want to do to move forward exactly because like anything it's consumer <laughs> economics i mean we're market driven <laughs> right Correct. Correct. so i mean when when money was good you would probably invest a lot more into things and when money gets thin it gets really difficult on the operation and maintenance and
0: that happens across every industry. oh it, yeah it doesn't so, to
1: me it doesn't matter on a size exactly. of anything i could sit in front of a major operator and I could put in front of them the same rule mm-hmm. and they may look at it differently but at the end of the day it's the bottom line i mean exactly. it is a business you know
0: so how is sos now uh collaborating with the larger trade organizations like API, like COGA? And honestly, what do you see happening with SOS across other states?
1: Well, I think what's significant for us is we never created SOS to be separate. We created SOS to just have a specific voice.
0: A unified voice. A
1: unified voice, yeah. but specific to our operations because we are mainly um, vertical wells. I'm not going to tell you that we don't have operators that have laterals there and don't hydraulic fract. We do. Mm-hmm. But the greater percentage of our representatives as a vertical stripper Wells. Um, and, you know, people could call it mom and pop, but I, I'm not going to call, they're not all mom and pop. No, know? they're not. That's no. just
0: such, a, I mean, we, they're families, they're teams that are generations deep, so you can apply that they terminology, are. but it is not to minimize their impact.
1: And when it initiated, uh, Sam Bramley and myself, we focused out in the northeastern corners of the state and, you know, Washington and Yuma counties, and then grew into Kiowa and Cheyenne and the reason doing that is because it is the bread and butter not only of the operators that are out there but also of the county's revenue. Correct. And so then as we continued to kind of market what we were doing we went broad spectrum and now we represent operators throughout the state. So yeah. And we're that's not huge. just. And rate. that
0: called on very quickly. So it there did. is definitely a demand for this type of unified front.
1: Very much so. And also, you know, with regards to the trade association, we have operators that are members of API, CPC, COGA. Yeah. Um, so in doing that, they brought their voices up in that trade because we weren't, again, we're not running rogue. Mm-hmm. We knew that we needed to have and be at the table to be a stakeholder for a different component of mm-hmm. the voice. Um, meaning if, you know, COGA is going to represent, they got to represent their majors, right? That's that's where their revenue comes from. That's their executive board. Mm -hmm. It's done on a production. Um, Our development, we are not a political action committee. We're not a trade association. We are just a consortium of operators with the same goal in mind. We want to continue to operate in the state. Um, We want to make sure that regulations are written fairly
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: and that there is not a one-rule-fits-all with regards to oil and gas. Yeah. It's very difficult. You can't just build rules around multi-well pads that you know have these capabilities that mm-hmm. have been drilled within the last 5 years. Yeah, I was um, going to
0: ask you to elaborate on that a bit more because 181 has introduced what some would call uh, wellhead control basically mm-hmm. where, and it's creating patchwork throughout the state. So the argument would be, well, we're not doing it based off of these larger pads, but that's not actually what's driving it. So can you elaborate just a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we can, you can step back. We just finished flowline rulemaking. Um,
0: How did that go?
1: <laughs> it, well, you yeah. know, <laughs> it went. Um, I, I, I would take away that I think that our group, you know we have to still focus on some positives you know mm-hmm. we we met with the state we have standing meetings with when I say the state I'm talking with the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission and specific individuals that are key within the rulemaking component we so met with COGCC the director for COGCC those, yeah. and um, are right they away listening? I would say yes at times they're listening and I, okay. I, I don't feel that the, it's an absolute closed mind I think we go in knowing that that you mm-hmm. know we're just trying to make enough of a shift that as we see something written, if we're seeing the draft rules, mm-hmm. we have to show the reasons why certain things were already written into the rules before. Yeah. And that's really key. Um, I think in the flow line rules, we felt really good about some components that definitely got drafted and changed prior to the hearing. I think again, we left the hearing with some worry, you know, because obviously we're dealing with an unprofessional commission that does not have any years, um, really, in in the oil field.
0: Uh, they have one consultant who. Well, we have. Isn't we only there. have
1: two original from the original commission. We have Howard yeah. Boygan and Aaron Overturf from the original commission. Mm-hmm. Howard being an attorney, and Aaron has a, uh, I believe, wildlife background with regards to her. Um, but again, we we lack the industry experience Correct. that we had on the former people yeah. who had you know 30 plus years of actually being in industry I And mean, honestly
0: to know anything in industry you have to have you got to dig in the dirt you know yeah
1: your ass needs to sit on the back of a drill rig whether you yeah, like it earn or not your yeah you you really do and i mean i i lean on those people all the time because if i'm in a regulatory environment and i'm not an engineer but i have to learn process engineering in order to yeah. apply how a rule is written i need to be able to have they, they may give me you know their edification right this is this is how this goes and then I say okay this is the language how do exactly. we apply these two things mm-hmm. and then how do we meet the expectation of the rule by technology yeah and technology of today you know <laughs> we have a thing called back best achievable control technology right and that gets used a lot but it's best achievable like is it there hasn't been developed I mean we
0: does it exist period correct
1: <laughs> right and and then also I mean cost is always a factor, but the thing is is is, is it really gonna do the betterment of the environment? Yeah. That's that's the thing, you know, or are we just over engineering things because this is the driving point point. Exactly. Safety becomes a big issue a lot on that side, but um,
0: so you left well integrity thinking flow line. Or, or left flow, me, yeah, line. <laughs> flow line. thinking, uh, okay, this might work, this might not work. <laughs> I think
1: I think I can speak pretty frankly that, you know, obviously these rules are final. Um, the statement of basis and purpose got rewritten at the very end and we decided that there was a lot of clarity that needs to come out of how the rules are written. So Mm -hmm. the burden on that goes right back over to the state and there's going to be a lot of guidance documents that come out. Um, I know from taking a survey, you know, on when it ended and just from our group, there's a lot of frustration. A lot of things that need to happen that benefit all parties, not operators alone, but You know agricultural farmers surface use owners and things like that that surround the flow line rules Um, whether you know flow lines are removed or abandoned in place properly we've always had procedures in place Mm -hmm. Um, and now you know adding eight more bullet points for the reasoning of why you leave a flow line in place and and having to ask for approval on something that has been a standard and not only has it been a standard in this state, it's been a standard in every state, and it's been a standard of an allowable even by the BLM, mm-hmm. you know, or by FEMSA, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the pipeline. Yes. So I, it's, those things are hard, and those are yet to come, <laughs> and there's things that need to be revisited, and there's there was discussion throughout that hearing in the final that it's yet to be seen. Let's Did Firestone see. come up? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, there was a significant <laughs> testimony from Erin Martinez and what occurred to her, which was catastrophic. But the culpability of multiple parties. The rules were in place, though. Yeah, the see, rules that's were the just thing not followed. Absolutely. There's
0: this misconception from the public that we have not been adhering to safe practices, and that's just incredibly false. So, if somebody is listening to this who is not in industry and trying to support 181 and you know put moratoriums or you know indirect moratoriums they're missing the mark they don't quite understand why things like that happened unfortunately happened what have you but
1: well it can be simply said it was human error there was no (laughs) lack of a rule yeah in existence for how flow lines were to be maintained and operated, Mm -hmm. or when incidents occur, period. Well,
0: encroachment came, if I understand properly, from the other side prior to the
1: the oil and gas location existed, the exactly. houses were built after that, and that is occurring throughout our whole state. And All throughout
0: the Front Range. Absolutely. From up, up north down to, you know, what, New Mexico, every, we're seeing more encroachment.
1: More encroachment. I mean, your population's growing. Um, oil and gas in this state has operated for more than 100 years, and, yeah. and I mean, I do a ton of due diligence, environmental assessments of properties. Mm-hmm for um, redevelopment purposes and again you're talking about two different bodies of people you're expecting developers and construction and um, engineers to understand the oil and gas industry they don't but they need to recognize it and it's the same thing they need to reach out to those parties do their due diligence Uh for the safety of anybody Uh and um, and that's really I mean the what occurred you know, yeah. and there's a human error. There was there was rules that were not followed. It wasn't that there weren't rules in place. Okay, rules were not filed. From both it, sides. Um, absolutely. I would say if you if you read the docket, you mm-hmm. know, that came out afterwards, I, it would be in my opinion that yeah, I think things occurred and they and they weren't filed in, in an unfortunate event and lives were lost. Mm-hmm. But I would not say that. Um, there were not rules in place. Yeah. We had the rules. I, I mean, anyone has to read a rule and follow a rule. I and mean, exactly. we can say that <laughs> all the way down to. Um you know, school just school children, right? You have a rule, follow the rule. There should be and repercussions. We <laughs> and, no, we still don't. I mean, talk about traffic. I mean, how many people roll a stop sign, run a red light, whatever.
0: I'm pretty sure I did that on the way over here. <laughs> what about well-war integrity? So, so what is happening hmm. there? Because that's going to be, I think that was going to be one that really does trickle to other states. So something Probably. To pay attention to. Well,
1: I think there's other states that have already started to focus. I mean focus on what's going on here in order to say, okay, if Colorado's revamping, then we're going to take another look at that. We've mm-hmm. seen that in the past. Um, you go back to baseline. I'll step back before I go to well bore, but um, BWQ, baseline water quality standards, okay. um, that's something that you know Colorado we set really, a precedent yeah. for, right? But again, understand it wasn't as if that was not occurring. Baseline water sampling was occurring before development of oil and gas, and there were already counties in the state that had those rules enacted at a county level. Love when that. it went statewide, mm-hmm. it became a rule, but it was an action that was already being taken as a best management practice mm-hmm. by operators to, put, um, to take baseline samples prior to EMP activity. Okay. And so then it became a rule. When then it, that became a rule, then you saw our neighboring state, Wyoming to the north, they wrote their own BWQ rules. Mm -hmm. And so that pretty much just set a precedent that here's another um, item or an activity that was being done by a best management practice by operators in certain areas that Mm -hmm. you would consider, you know, thought there were sensitive receptors, they wanted to protect themselves, you know, for uh, wells in the area. Um, And then it just went statewide. But the way it got publicly put out there was as if industry wasn't doing it. Exactly, and that's a marketing
0: ploy to say how we're, forcing regulation but as fair good stewards practices operators Operators were already doing doing it it. they were doing it
1: and they were doing it in areas that really needed it but it became a statewide rule
0: and it happens all over the lower 48 we want the right to operate right
1: exactly and I don't think you know everyone there was nothing I don't I didn't see a significant pushback about that it was just a matter of following a rule what were the expectations what analytical results are the expectation now of the state versus mm-hmm. what was already being done
0: it's, it's a way for them to put a rule and then put a fine association. yeah with it. exactly <laughs> what can Gotta we enforce them for not doing <laughs> right
1: we do though under that rule um which is probably such a change again um leading forward into mission change but um under that rule You have exemptions Mm -hmm. so if you have you know if there isn't a well within an area you don't have to go drill a well in order to do that i'm not going to tell you that there aren't operators in the state that don't do that they do some go above and beyond several go above and beyond but that's one that you know i can speak to that happened in the state and then it happened in wyoming obviously same with the air rules you know we different obviously regulatory body than the colorado oil and gas commission but you have cdphe Mm -hmm. air has been Prominent throughout the country, and it's been really a big one under the Clean Air Act revisions. Correct, and that has been going hog wild for years, right? And then our state, <laughs> well, of a course, good,
0: it's a good platform. to it's argue. A good platform. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so that one occurred. So now, as you know, what was driven by Senate Bill One Eighty-One, we moved into well bore integrity. Um, This one is kind of just happening at a rapid pace. There was obviously studies that were done prior to now. It just came out. We're going to go to rulemaking at the end of February with the hearing. Stakeholder processes have occurred. There was uh, technical groups put together with operators, industry, um, environmental defense fund, and I'm not sure, I, I think there's a, you know, a few others that were brought in there. I do know <laughs> that SOS does not feel that we were represented as stakeholders in that group. We felt that it was very DJ Basin specific focused. I think there was a select few operators outside of the DJ Basin mm-hmm. that might've came into play within that task force or group, stakeholder group that discussed. But um, I don't think that it had enough representation of operators.
0: Whose fault Geographically
1: was that? throughout the state.
0: I, all I mean, honestly, I'm not sure how, someone, how that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just feel like it was a lack of parties being brought to the table, you know. And which again, which is unfortunate. But which is unfortunate. Somebody
0: needs to be paying attention to exactly who's being represented. I and think that's so. Re- that's, I mean, if you I mean, that's reality.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you're going to put a stakeholder group together and you're really going to call it a stakeholder group, someone needs to kind of be the kingpin that says are we really representing all assets that are going to be affected by this rule?
0: hundred percent. And
1: again, it goes right back to SOS. Like Mm we, knowing that when we originated and put the group together, obviously we were the vertical stripper wells, right? Even though we had a handful of operators that maybe had some multi-well, hydraulically fractured pads, the greater percentage was the vertical well. And also vertical wells that, you know, are more than 30 years old, Mm -hmm. more than 60 years old. Yeah. and so, and don't want to go out of business. Don't exactly. want to be forced out of business by being over-regulated to a point that...
0: Over-fined, you mean. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously that is, that is a tough point. But the point is, is that if they're not producing the volume of mm-hmm. a product, even at the federal level, there's always been an exemption or a carve-out, right? Okay. A phased approach of something. Um, and it's hard, you know, because it... To not, for those that are listening that don't understand regulations, I mean, when you look at federal rules, federal rules are written, but then you take into account a cost-benefit analysis, Mm -hmm. right? You know, if the cost outweighs the environmental benefit, you have carve-outs. Yeah. And we work very diligently in the regulatory environment to make sure of that, to make sure that... All aspects are taken in, you mm-hmm. know, a one size rule doesn't fit all parties mm-hmm. in, in this arena. And so um, usually you get to discuss that. That's kind of gotten flipped um, to <laughs> not be allowed under SB 181, cost effectiveness, technical infeasibility. Those things are just not taken into account. Which is very hard because they're not very well defined, yeah you know, and so we're still working towards that. And so the same thing on well bore integrity, um, you know there's fo- focused on well control, you're focusing on braid and head monitoring and mm-hmm. testing, which again, You know, for the general public, these rules are in existence. They They were being
0: followed before they were rules. And and regardless
1: (laughs) of followed, they're they're written because, you know, you can't hold everybody's hand to the fire to do the right thing, right? Again, we go back to human. Um, Someone chooses not to do it. They face the implications of being out of compliance. Um, But there was reasons why certain areas weren't being you know told that Mm -hmm. they were in a braid and head monitoring area and um and again we're looking at things going statewide and this is one component of well war integrity um but it seems that what what gets focused on now is we have an incident Mm -hmm. that occurs and then out of an incident and this gets blown out of proportion Mm -hmm. that it must be what's occurring throughout the whole state yeah and that we're not looking at it (laughs) and i'm not going to tell you that there aren't operators that have operation and, and maintenance issues right Correct. that's typically Every, what is
0: business everyone runs and everybody does
1: i mean you could relate it up the board to old retail stations yeah. you know and and you don't change out your lines and accidents occur and, and stuff like that happens it's very true i mean attributed to anything in manufacturing Exactly,
0: but that's why we have people like you in place Correct. as well
1: <laughs> people like me in place and the fact that you have um implications for your actions yeah so you have I mean we have significant penalties in the state those got revamped in 2015 Mm -hmm. and I mean our penalty matrix (laughs) changed significantly our original penalties were capped at a ten thousand dollar penalty per day and it couldn't go above that and (laughs) well it was capped at a ten thousand penalty I mean it was ten thousand we changed that yeah now you have class one class two class three violations you know minor um what is it minor, moderate and major, mm-hmm. right? And so you go from 5,000 to 10,000 to 15,000, but now there's no cap. So depending on the category of the of the yeah, violation. Those are baselines now. <laughs> those are baselines and then for every day you're out of compliance, you count that. So think 15,000 dollars a day with no cap. That becomes significant fines. Oh, yeah. So that in people itself People
0: don't make that in a year.
1: Right. So <laughs> but I mean I don't think anyone again really wants to end up losing their bottom line due to an enforcement of a penalty yeah accidents do occur um, failure to maintain equipment occurs mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have to have the money in order to maintain something, right? Correct. But you have an obligation. Correct. And so those things were changed because at that point we saw that you know we needed we had a driver, right? Yeah. Stuff wasn't getting done. We figure we create the penalty be a little bit greater. We'll get more people to do more things, mm-hmm. and that's typically how it works. Yeah. You know, and um, and again, I think too, no one's saying that changing of rules is a negative. I mean, obviously.
0: It happens all the time. You can't even have an opinion about when it happens. You just have to have an opinion about how you react to it.
1: The problem is, is looking at duplicity of rules, though. Mm -hmm. When we are federally regulated, right first, and then we have state regulations. State regulations can be greater than the feds. Mm And we have that in Colorado, yeah. and we have been a significant leader, especially on the air side, yeah. to have greater control over our emissions within the state than any other state in this country, even far surpassing area, you mm-hmm. know, areas of California. That's that's significant, and we take that into consideration, mm-hmm. and and that has occurred. That occurred way before Governor Polis came into office. I think it was very much overlooked in when he was running for governor, and there were statements that were made. As if Hickenlooper didn't do anything or any of his predecessors. We've yeah, had but he ongoing. He was a
0: geo too. He loves the environment. They're like the oil filled hings. He knows They're where awesome. his money comes from.
1: So. <laughs>
0: well, we... <laughs> Polis won't acknowledge that. Come Polis won't acknowledge
1: <laughs> that, but Hickenlooper will acknowledge that. I mean, you can't have a successful state. Without a good structure of industry for people to have jobs mm-hmm. and for us to enjoy the amenities of the of thing, life, and the thing know? is, is
0: the oil and gas industry throughout Colorado and throughout the Rockies are the reason that we have other industries. Do y'all want to know how fake snow is made? Because <laughs> right. I can tell you, it's very true. <laughs> but let's go back to that, to breaking barriers, because mm-hmm. there is such a movement behind Polis's action of this, you know, unstated moratorium. We are considered a purple state. There are people protesting constantly who are holding up plastic signs and wearing clothing and they're not, they don't understand their basic energy impact to and what they're actually protesting. So how does this state that is historically purple actually break barriers so that people understand the significant role that the oil and gas industry, the small operators all the way to the majors play in our day-to-day lives?
1: I think honestly, that's like the million-dollar question, right? Of I think our, <laughs> I think our industry, unfortunately, we stay very conservative, very controlled. Um, we, We're
0: nerds. We're all we, are, down. we are. We always <laughs> we
1: talk from analytics. We talk from fact, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, that's not normally what comes from the other side. From well, the other side, you get passion reaction this keep it in the ground it's a move it's a movement right it's like a a religious movement of this must be better this something's better by doing
0: this but they demand science and yet when science is presented to them air quality down to water contamination and there's no proof backing it up
1: they don't like it
0: they don't like (laughs) it they don't like it and
1: it's over their head because they've been told that we're bad right you know and so we're a major we're a major industry you know, just like smoking, right? Mm -hmm. But cigarettes hasn't gone away. Um, You know, we we just print on there that will kill you. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) you print something and then it's okay. So um, I think 20 years my experience is we've been behind the curve on being creative and getting our our voices heard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everybody loves the amenities today. Everybody loves their phone Oh Everybody loves Amazon Prime. I Everybody love my loves my heated
0: seats in my car. Right.
1: <laughs> I think the step back thing that I think, which is probably most funny, um, obviously. I'm in my late 40s, and I look at the generation that's changing, and I have a 16-year-old, and the tactile, right? You know, we can touch screens, we get reactions, we mm-hmm. roll over to an alarm clock, which is our phone, and then yeah. we're fed social media instantly. I mean, what's the greatest thing, right? If we could tap into everybody's phone and put something positive about oil and gas first instead of negative. I don't negative. Know
0: anyone who doesn't play with Snapchat every freaking no, right? like day.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's mainstream fed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but the problem is, is everybody wants that, mm-hmm. but they don't, recognize the origins. The origins yeah. of everything that's came out in the amenities, even in my lifetime, is so significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get your groceries delivered, right? Everybody oh, I do
0: that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean,
1: how many people do you know that aren't members of Amazon Prime? I don't know. Any. Right? And <laughs> how, and we react because Amazon promised us that we'd get our things delivered in a day or two, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, right? that is. These are amenities. That is all due to our industry. Oil Oil and gas gas makes this happen. (laughs) I don't care if you drive a Tesla or an electric car Mm -hmm. and you write Amazon on the side of it, it originates from oil and gas. There isn't one component of that product that doesn't come from our industry. And I don't care how many times we say it, it doesn't seem to resonate with them because they didn't grow up learning consumer economics or, or learning how things were built. I mean, I've talked about this before in other presentations that You know, in in my era of getting a free day in school was a reel of film, right? But usually the (laughs) the film, when the film cart came in, you were um, getting educated about
0: how... What's film cart? No, I'm kidding, exactly, I'm you're you're
1: not that young, but I mean, so the projector gets rolled in with a reel of film, um, but it literally is like industrial manufacturing. You know, like how a car was made. Yeah. How, what's the revolution of this country? What sets do us aside? How hot dogs get
0: made? Well, you get that now, but I mean,
1: that's that's probably one of my daughter's favorite uh, TV shows is How It's Made. But it's pretty incredible, right? Yeah. All of that machinery, all of those things, mm-hmm. that still all stems from our industry. I mean, you can't get away from oil. It's, it's, it isn't a switch of a process that's going to go away. But I think also too, if you focus on the oil industry, there isn't an industry that hasn't supported technical advancements of alternative energy practices. I mean, some of our majors, BP, beyond Mm -hmm. petroleum, Shell, you know, Exxon, But but the thing is, is they're the money that is doing the studies oh, behind yeah. these things in order to have technology advances. Because it is an
0: energy industry, it's an and energy. energy is not going to give up their one. piece of the pie. They want no. to move forward along with everyone else, and that's what people don't get.
1: Well, it circles back to when ethanol was the big deal, right? And we thought <laughs> ethanol was great, and then there was an argument that we we're taking away, Fields that should be utilized for our food source, not mm-hmm. for the ethanol source, and you know, as was a boom bust thing, right? But yeah. it still exists. Biodiesel, next great thing because you put the word bio in front of diesel. I mean, it's still. Bio
0: oil. Well, again,
1: <laughs> but again, it's ebb and flow. So yeah. if people focus now, they focus on windmills or they focus on solar. Well, how do you think the windmill is built? I mean, how do you think you get how do you those think blades it's from, of? <laughs> from. Well, yeah, it's buried. It's not a good thing, it's not very recyclable. Um, certain components of it are, but again, you know, it takes up a hillside. It provides something that's not very well stored, but in order to make the turbines, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get away from oil and gas. In order to drive those turbines, fly, ship, it's all oil and gas. And, And again, I mean, it's just, it's a matter of training a thought to understand that no one is. Um, I don't think anyone in, in our industry, and I represent that, you know, as an environmental scientist, is ever saying we don't want wind, we don't want solar. We uh-huh. just don't want you to position yourself one hundred percent against our industry to keep yeah. it in the ground. There's no benefit to that, uh-huh. and our technological advancements. Um, honestly, are very significant on what we've done to protect soil, water, and air, period. Our our country is, amazingly, we set ourselves aside from anybody with regards to that. Mm -hmm. We do not have to shift and be one, you know, it's it's insignificant. We need to take into all accounts geographically, even throughout the diversity of our state, you know, have wind power in areas that wind power is good and it's not going to affect you know, the beauty of the landscape, and it's somewhere that we can capture it and be able to utilize it,
0: mm-hmm. where it
1: does provide a benefit outweighing a cost. Yeah. Same thing, solar, obviously, we're a very sunny state, have solar, geothermal, and the areas that you mm-hmm. can get geothermal, but again, oil and gas oil I mean gas we set ourselves a set, mm-hmm. I mean it is the biggest thing and our trade associations and, and, and several other associations supporting that have shown natural mm-hmm. gas prominent in our state it makes affordable energy here and affordable energy for the areas that we pipe it to mm-hmm. you know we export a significant amount of the product that's extracted here to other states We keep this in the ground we're not only going to affect this industry, we're going to affect the people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's the thing. You you can do everything you want to protect the environment, mm-hmm. um, whether it's air, soil, water, but the welfare of the people by not providing a readily accessible resource at a reasonable cost
0: mm-hmm.
1: is going to be a huge, huge effect on the
0: state. I think so. And it's it's we're it, already it, seeing impacts slowly. I mean, we are. We're seeing a loss year, of. But like...
1: Yeah, it's going to ha- I mean, it, it's happening because obviously you're seeing no money being brought into the state, you know, for future development. Oh, yeah. What do you think
0: is going to happen to the ski lifts when there's well, no money there to help maintain it?
1: Exactly. Well, <laughs> I think Vail and Associates decides to think that they're some kind of green. Um,
0: it's the green veil. It's yes. a false reality. <laughs> it's a false reality.
1: Uh, diesel generation is, is occurring up there. I mean, they have generators that. If something no, they false. don't. I know, they're, right? Oh,
0: my God. No, they're painted white, so they blend. Therefore, uh, they are not there. Someone
1: should probably do a little research on the notices <laughs> of alleged violations against the Allen Associates, and you'd see that they struggle a lot I've in their environmental management. So, <laughs> And it happens to everybody. It, you can put out that you're a steward, but again, it goes back to human. You know, yeah. Someone fails to um, update a permit or turn in a report in a timely manner. Those all come with repercussions to enforcement Correct. and you know vail can write themselves up as saying they're green or whatever but i mean you've deforested a significant amount of area for recreation right mm-hmm. which i'm a huge skier i 100 percent support that i don't ever want someone to turn around and say we're going to plant trees all over vale because now we think that's horrible and it's that's not a great thing. control <laughs> right <laughs> right but i mean those are the things like there's a balance. Yeah. There's a, a complete balance to it. And I think it's a matter of re-educating. Um, I fight very hard with my daughter now being 16 and, you know, how her education is going and the fact that it, it lags, right? You yeah. know, we, we focus on textbooks. My daughter currently is in an AP environmental science class and her textbook was written in 2013. And, Was it really? It was. Oh, my God. And her first chapter... Twenty people. Well, (laughs) I mean, the hard part for me was my daughter opening the first chapter of her AP Environmental Science book, and the chapter was To Frack or Not to Frack.
0: Are you serious? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Just frack off.
1: Yeah, so the, (laughs) the comedy to that for me was, I was like, this is interesting, as I write back to her, and I said, well, I'd love to hear what's being taught in class. Well, then I took the time... To read that chapter, mm-hmm. and it was literally so outdated. It discussed, you know, the lighting of fire on water, and in, in our state, oh and, and the case, but it it was written before like the case closed, right? So it was a propaganda after propaganda.
0: So it was a gasland propaganda essentially. It felt
1: that way. Um, I think the good thing is it didn't draw concrete conclusions through it. So what I had asked my daughter was I wanted to hear the supplemental information that was being brought to her by her teacher. Yeah. And then also I wanted teachers to... teachers don't love us. Well, no, I mean, but honestly. actually mm-hmm. I, I have a positive outcome to this one. Cool, so, cool. I mean, the nice thing with regards to that is there was supplemental material. So, and Excellent. it was discussed on, and that was discussed with a very neutral. But the problem is, is how you read that chapter, depending on your interaction with your parents at home or what's being fed to you, you know, through the media or online. Mm-hmm. Kids are definitely swayed oh. to the negative yeah. from that chapter. Yet yeah, the whole book wasn't negative, but it just shows that we can't teach off text. Yeah. You know, we need to talk about science. Science changes
0: so Faster quickly. than we can print. Correct.
1: <laughs> and so I had just made a, you know, gallon effort to let her know that, keep me abreast of what's going on in your class, because mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is I'd you're 16 years old. Like if anybody should be able to get it is let's go do field camp. Let's let's like walk you out into the field and actually really understand what is prominent in the state Mm -hmm. because fracking is a positive thing. It is not a negative thing. Nope.
0: And it, I mean, it is the difference in life and death in a lot of situations. But um, let's go back to your story because you really pulled yourself up from your bootstraps. You were able to Figure out, develop, design the agile in industry, and we don't see a lot of that anymore. There seems to be this misconception uh, from those entering industry that they're just coming in for that six, you know, six-figure paycheck. I don't see that happening anymore. What do yeah. you think's going on? Do you think we're letting the wrong people or encouraging the wrong people in for the wrong reasons, or are we going to see a fall off of this? Because it's really you're lucky to get a nice five-figure salary yeah. these days.
1: <laughs> I think what's difficult is you. You also have a shift in expectations, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, as a manager, you know, of a small consulting company, and I have to hire people too, right? For Correct. technical abilities, I mean, we have geologists and engineers and scientists here. You know, hiring someone green on a school with an environmental degree, it's the understanding of what w- industries we work with, right? Yeah. So um, you can be, you know, pro-everything environment and and have all that, but you need to understand that, like for me, I I see it as I'm an environmental consultant, environmentalist, and Uh I said I make a good money in my technical attributes to what I know, but also on the regulation side. So I would say if I compared myself to a direct person who defined them as an environmentalist not doing my job, I do more day-to-day to protect the environment mm-hmm. by knowing the regulations and keeping my clients I would agree. in compliance versus yeah. those that stand with a picket, right? So <laughs> the challenge is, is um, we're missing the mark of you know promoting per- petroleum engineering, mechanical engineering, environmental science, geology, that you work in this industry. It's mm-hmm. not a negative to work in this industry. No. This industry is the industry that drives. Uh, the, the need change. for yeah. those technological um, people, and, the, and then the technology changes. I mean, if you don't have the people who get act, you know educated to the point of what's being brought to them in school, whether it's School of Mines, University of Wyoming, you know Texas area schools, things like that. In our industry, we're gonna fall off. We. We've always discussed um, over the last years that we were ha- going to have this huge gap, you know, the age gap, all these people <laughs> that worked, yeah, right, yeah, significantly. Yeah, that
0: 20-year gap.
1: <laughs> but we do. We do. We because do have it, yeah. We have it not only on the industry players, but we have it in the focus of saying that being a professional in this industry, oh, it's a negative, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a negative. It's a positive. Very positive. But what's happening in Colorado is, I mean, I would promote anyone to come to work in this industry, mm-hmm. whether you're going to work in In an oil and gas firm, or even in the consulting realm, in mm-hmm. the consulting realm, I think you you get a more rapid, diverse aspect mm-hmm. of it. Whether you're going to be digging in the dirt, you know, or pushing compliance papers, things come at you at a more rapid pace on mm-hmm. a learning curve. In industry, you know, you're focused at a task and you learn your profession and you yeah. and you find your career path. Um, but I I just I can't say enough about being in oil and gas Mm -hmm. in order to get paid but the problem is is if our market is going to get affected right which the market's going up at times it's up and down (laughs) right that's great but you're not just guaranteed the six-figured income if we're not producing so what happens is we could promise high paying jobs to individuals that were um, tech savvy, even tech out of school. I mean, during the boom eras, we had people getting 6 figure incomes to drive water trucks and crew trucks and things like that.
0: And lucky you. And lucky you, (laughs) right,
1: through that time. And obviously, we went through a significant time throughout this country that you couldn't get enough truck Mm -hmm. drivers with CDLs that could, you know, haul a product safely and, Mm -hmm. and manage it and know how to work technically to do that. Now our struggle is we have so many people getting laid off with these Age of
0: consolidation. Age of
1: consolidation. And, and, and they have these technical wherewithal. And I think the smart ones are the ones that are saying, okay, I realize I had it good for this long. The market's dropped me down. I am potentially could get there again. Exactly. But they
0: persevere. They
1: persevere. And I think they persevere because they lived it, right? Yeah. They've lived the hills <laughs> and valleys. They know how it works. And um, I mean, I would like to think that in the consulting realm, maybe I benefit from some of that. And mm-hmm. I get some key people that you know walk away from industry and then want to diversify and turn around and maybe help the same companies mm-hmm. that they worked but the hard part is is that flux you know yeah. you're you're seeing people get laid off that have 20 years in the industry and thought that's where they were going to be in and their career and now they no longer have that Correct. and they're trying to revamp themselves but you know compare themselves now to someone with 5 years and why are they better and i yeah. would say in this industry um, Gosh, I would love to be able to afford to take more people with 20 years than try to train the attitude of a person who's only worked in the workforce three to five years. Exactly. Um, I can say myself, I mean, I walked into a consulting company with an environmental degree. Mm -hmm. I never knew that I was going to work in oil and gas. I never had an idea that I would have been doing what I was doing. Um, but I would never change anything today to what I've learned.
0: I love that. Ever. I wouldn't.
1: And I mean, and you're talking to someone who graduated in environmental studies, you know, skier, artist, and um, I wouldn't. I've learned so much. You know, the not, I still learn every single day. I walk out into a well pad and I go, what's that? You know, a new piece of equipment. And you do because you have to yeah, you go do, like, what, what did still. you do and why are you doing it that exactly. way? And, and then I'm like, hmm. Are, are, you know how's that regulated? Exactly. And, you had to think I, through the whole process. You do, and that's that critical component that I feel experience. that you do not get out of.
0: You don't get that entry at level people. Sorry, you don't. No, and
1: and and also the now it's like so much. I think it's because of this tactile environment, right? You know, everything's handed to us on a silver platter. It's so easy and attainable. When I have interviewees in this industry that say they have experience and they've done a field camp or they've done whatever, (laughs) but yet they never worked through college. I think that's just so difficult, right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather see someone say that they were a bartender and, you know, and then did an internship and had some kind of public Mm -hmm. relations just for the capability of you have multiple stakeholders that you're dealing with Mm -hmm. in this industry and you need to be able to have, understand, you know, different personalities, different technical. Never, ever feel bad about saying you don't know, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Say no. you don't
1: know and ask critical. I would th- rather
0: th- you ask a stupid question to avoid a stupid mistake right? than worry about your ego.
1: We lack in critical thinking. And I think for me, that that's something that I never feared. Like, I still, to this day, will sit in an operator's meeting and they'll be talking and I'll be like, can you hold up a second? Can you back up? I have mm-hmm. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, tell me exactly how that flange connects to where you're connecting and what you're trying to accomplish yeah. and they might look at me like why but what i'm trying to do is what goes on in the field i have to apply to a rule yeah and i have to understand like where do they potentially trip something or where's their potential exemption or how do i discuss that with the regulatory body to say it's feasible or it's not feasible and this is why mm-hmm. and then be able to make those technical arguments that it creates a safety issue or yeah. You know, we haven't developed that technology that you're trying to regulate yet. I know we've talked about it, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not something that can be applied to all ops. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where probably my passion comes from is just trying to make sure that I listen to all facets, but also say it can or cannot be done, or if it can be done, you can't just do it overnight. Exactly. It's not going to have a...
0: We have to be strategic about correct. how you implement. How... So moving forward, where is SOS going? How do people get involved? How do they support you? How do other states help implement the uh, practices that you and Sam are providing for the teams here?
1: So SOS, so you know, first of all, the backup on the makeup of SOS. um, So we're now about 48 operators, diversely throughout the state. we have counsel. We're represented by Eric Wackerland uh, with Holland and Hart, which mm-hmm. was really key. Um, it isn't that you can't participate in rulemaking without counsel; you can. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we reserve that right in case it's a necessity um, to have legal counsel, because obviously it's rulemaking. Exactly. Um, SOS is growing. I mean, obviously, we don't have to do hard press marketing. Um, this is the wonder- which is
0: wonderful. <laughs> no, I mean
1: it's it's not really like. A business sales situation yeah. it's it's a movement to get a voice out to, to give the smaller size operator a voice during rulemaking and engage in, in stakeholders um, I think you know what happens is word of mouth mm-hmm. which I've seen just in the last couple of weeks the operators themselves are talking someone sees material that I've put out um, they've you know we hosted a small happy hour for our group just to get together Which was
0: so helpful. Yes,
1: just to talk openly and and to recognize. Because we've had some wins as a group. Mm And we've been fighting one-off things that affect the group as a group to keep a voice. Um, honestly, we, the, the biggest way that we set ourselves aside on the, on the business aspect of it is we aren't a trade association, so we don't have members dues. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're structured under a time and materials aspect. Um, okay. we have weekly meetings, uh, we have our technical staff, which is basically me, <laughs> um, <laughs> me and Eric and his associate Aaron that, uh, you know, work through the regulations, um, make comments back we have standing meetings with the director and other stakeholders through the rulemaking yeah but the premise of that is that's the personal engagement that we have Mm -hmm. so we work on a time and materials basis so it's my time equally divided across every operator so if you look at a trade association where you pay your annual dues right and then you're asked for supplemental money to support other efforts or their legal fund which are usually very significant contributions Mm -hmm. um We don't do that. I mean, the function of SOS is you're getting the benefit of my work and and my network Mm -hmm. um, along with legal representation divided by nearly 50, right? So, you know, it takes a lot to fight um, anything, legally or technically, right? You're, You're asking for people that have a diverse background or the capability to say, you know, I have my operator say, Tricia, this isn't going to work for us. or mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I'm like, why isn't it going to work for us? If we had to live with some component of this rule change, yeah. what can we accept and what do we need to totally fight on? Correct. Because
0: the thing is, is rules always change. Correct. So you need and to pick and choose your battles so that you can win a better war.
1: I think the thing is, is because nobody's saying that they don't, that they're opposed to regulation. It's just a, it's a, it's a matter of, whether it's constraining or yeah, not. Yeah,
0: feasibility. Feasibility of, <laughs> of
1: whether you can actually continue to function in an environment economically, you know, to extract a product that everybody needs. Mm-hmm. And so, um, on that premise, we take things apart, you know, piece by piece. Yeah. Um, we are very methodical when we look at the rule changes. We do talk about priority. We, like I said, I, I don't think there's anyone in our group that doesn't welcome change yeah. you know so it's just the feasibility and then also maybe knowing that changes are going to happen but making sure that they happen in a timeline that you can get them done without going so bankrupt so they can be successful yeah. and, and like you know people say weather the storm i don't want it to be negative i want them to know that you know when things occurred like with firestone right. Yeah. I was in some of those first operators meetings when we were discussing the notice to operators and we need to do something. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this is a big deal that occurred and obviously the public's perception is gonna be, it's all our fault. And there wasn't one operator in that room when we came together, not welcoming to do something, right? Which is
0: awesome. Which is, speaks volumes. It does,
1: but none of the media is ever gonna pick up on that. No, They're gonna say that <laughs> we were dragging our feet and we had to do it in a phased approach. Well, you have to. Because you're Everything talking about hundreds of years of E&P work that's gone on in the state, exactly. and the operators sitting in that room are not the same operators that drilled it 100 years ago. I'm sorry, no, we don't have that dead. lifespan. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. so not yet at least. So again, they're like, "You want us to do what and how and in what time frame?" Exactly. And you know, people spun that to the negative. Oh, they don't want to do it; they're dragging their feet. No, no
0: that's not that wasn't not it. reality at all.
1: We also have an error, right? Mm-hmm you, we have to do things safely. Exactly. And, and people don't understand that. And
0: safety is not rushed.
1: <laughs> drilling a well, operating a well, it's a function that comes with a significant amount of safety, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. And hundred percent. hundred percent, right? And so I think the hard part is when we make statements like over-regulation, we're making them for the fact that usually we're taking into account that there's potential safety implications by what you're doing. Correct. You know, if you're if you want to focus on an emission, if you're going to if something has a normal operating condition that if it reaches a certain pressure it has to vent, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. If you don't allow it to do that because it's a function of an action, you create issues. Yeah. And you create safety issues and then you put people at harm and the, and we don't ever want to do that.
0: hundred percent. So,
1: and I think that's where it gets back to when we fight, we're always fighting analytically and technically <laughs> instead of just saying, fine, go live in the cold, you know, um, <laughs> don't enjoy the amenities of your phone and, and all of these other things. I think that's what's unfortunate is it seems like it's, us and them, right? And Even it really th-
0: isn't. It's, it isn't
1: because they, you know, you exactly. say they, right? The other side. So the other side's interpretation is, um, you know, they want all the same amenities, but they just seem to think that they can have them all, but we can just keep it exactly. in the ground and we can't. And then, and I then want it's my
0: Amazon Prime too, y'all.
1: <laughs> well, everybody does. I want, you know, Uber Eats or I want to, I mean, think about it. I'm a function of that too. I want, I want to be able to hail an uber and not drive my car but what's the difference it's a car exactly the cars being driven there's gasoline that you know fuels the car um even if you have an electric car it's a battery where do you think the electricity comes from i mean we're in natural gas state the these are yeah right <laughs> the socket in the wall i don't know that i mean honestly that's the that's the growth of the percentage and i think for me um i feel like you you've got your majors you've got your bureaucracy you have small operator society um and, I mean, I'm just helping to lead that charge and also mm-hmm. make sure that it just becomes fair, you know. Fair fair in the aspect that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to put it in words. I mean, I, I want everyone to come. Everyone com-
0: has a seat at the table.
1: Everyone has a seat at the table. And, I mean, there's going to, obviously, whenever you're doing anything, whatever type of hearing it is, there's always going to be wins and losses, right? Correct. But it's just a matter of function, of how do we move forward to continue to provide these resources in a reasonable, effective, costly, environmentally sound manner Mm -hmm. without shutting it down.
0: What is your web address?
1: (laughs) You mean, do we have one? What will it be? What will it be? Oh, it will be Small Operator Society. No, we're working on our webpage. That's so funny because today that's what you need to have. Uh, No, we are very generic. So we literally, um, unlike most things, our group talks. So um, we do a lot through email, but uh, we have weekly meetings Mm -hmm. for Small Operator Society. And then obviously we have spin-off meetings when there's an immediate need. We have carve-out subgroups um, that are occurring actually more regularly now. because now that our group is nearly 50 operators, um, (laughs) it's it's a lot. And and now we're geographically diverse. So since we were in the northeastern counties before, we all kind of had the same issues. And now that we're throughout the state, we're really carving out some subset groups that if they want to... Gather together and have their little one-off conversations mm-hmm. with me, and how things apply to them. Yeah, um, we kind of have those. Like, okay. if there's a part of a regulation that's truly going to affect a certain component of the operators, then we're creating our little consortium groups, mm-hmm. and those groups then get to kind of discuss things. No, I actually made a joke to Sam not too long ago. I started developing a web page just simply because you know, I think people are busy. Again, um, I'm not central point. Well, each of these operators don't like have an environmental health and safety department, right? They're like I said before, they're doing everything. They're turning the well head Mm -hmm. and the valves and they're, you know, making sure that there's no spills and releases. They're filing their sundry notifications. Yeah, They're doing everything. Cradle to grave, it's theirs. Um, Whereas you step up to a major group, you have a regulatory affairs person, you have an advisor, you have counsel, you have EHS staff that's not this. Yes. So, um, the people that partake in those meetings are the same people that are out, you know, making sure their oil and gas are coming out of the ground. And so it's a different function. So getting to email from mm-hmm. how much I send, I'm very good about it being as concise as I can put. I put out different iterations so they don't have to <laughs> take it all in at once, you know, link as much as I can to what goes on over at COGCC or CDPHE. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really then follow up and talk about it yeah. um, and make sure that there's multiple meetings. I mean, if you can figure out how to clone me, I'd love to know that. Because now between, on it. <laughs> <laughs> between Eric, Erin, and myself, and I have other ancillary staff, mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how things get overlapped. Yeah, a lot of times and in the state. And you don't state. want to duplicate. No, but just the rulemakings, right? Yeah. So oh, you have the rulemakings. Ma- yeah. So you have a stakeholder group going on at Colorado Department of Public Health. You have yeah. a stakeholder group going on at COGCC. Mm. They don't care if they overlap each other, right? <laughs> well, I do. You because have Because I need to be in both places at once, exactly. and I think, and I think sometimes I swear to God, you feel spiteful when there's key <laughs> meetings that are going on that you're like, "Did you think this?" And it's been brought up many times, mm-hmm. and. Um, And they do, and some get moved. But we have going into this um, first and second quarter of 2020, we have significant rulemakings that are going to happen at both regulatory bodies in the state. CDPHE has ongoing air regulations. Um, We got done with one, and we (laughs) lost on all accounts. If someone really wants to talk wins and loses, we don't feel very positive about what we thought we were charging ourselves with for some changes that we wanted out of that. Um, Yeah. Again, those are going into effect in January, and then throughout the year, which will have significant changes to the operators in the state. Um, and then, you know, again, we're moving to well War Integrity and the hearings at the end of February. And then when mm-hmm. we have the next ones that come to play at the commission. So um, I feel like I prefer to have meetings because I want q and yeah. I want people not to digest an email, misinterpret a tone, misread it right mm-hmm. and think that there's no function because there's exactly. a lot always um it's lost to reaction like oh yeah. shit I can't do this <laughs> and you know Trisha this isn't going to work for me and I'm like okay well let's read panic sets in because they read one component of it and if you're not a person who does regulatory you can't just read one line of a paragraph and not read the paragraph below exactly.
0: or above exactly because
1: that's how it ends up coming into play mm-hmm. and that's where guidance documents Correct. come out, Correct. but. I think it's overwhelming. And right now, unfortunately, the operators in our state, I think they feel defeated. They feel unwelcomed, right? Defeated. Terrible
0: because they're a backbone. They are literally a backbone and a cornerstone.
1: Absolutely. To everyone in the state. And I think, you know, the biggest thing leading out of this is people forget all of the subsidies Mm -hmm. that come from this industry in the state. And that's What's really gonna hurt in the end? Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of these um, one off programs that provide cost effective uh, subsidies for people who can't afford their electric bills, yeah. right? Well, where do they think that revenue comes from? That revenue they is. They don't think. They the don't problem. think, right? So when those aren't there, you have aging populations that yeah. are living off Social Security and fixed incomes that still need to heat their homes in the exactly. same a- aspect. But the revenue isn't going to be there, right? Because the revenue that's generated in these small communities from oil and gas operations out in Washington and Kiowa and, you know, (laughs) Cheyenne counties, um, Yuma, this is what they're, I mean, whether you're saying they only get a few million a year based on the operators Mm -hmm. that are in their county, that few million is the infrastructure to their ambulatory service Mm -hmm. to, you know, curbs and gutters and the function of those positions that are paid positions at the county level oh, well, yeah. that, oh, that that'll yeah. be gone you know <laughs> and actually that that's another premise that um, sam and i are trying to refocus with small operator society is under senate bill 191 you know protection of human health welfare environment and wildlife we're redefining welfare because Good. everybody is so focused on environmental mm-hmm. and wildlife right protection mm-hmm. of human health and environment add wildlife you add wildlife wildlife's always been part of our rule but the welfare component. Yes. Welfare to me is the fact that I wake up in America every day, safe, secure, with the capability to work a job, yeah. heat my home, yeah. and have the amenities of my life that make it pretty damn great. And Very every component great. of that is based on energy, right? <laughs> I and completely it, agree. And it's not negative. No. So that shift is, the paradigm shift is, what what in your life by energy is worse, right? Yes. Energy is great. And there's still <laughs> countries in our world that don't have it right exactly they don't have clean water at a resource they don't be able to flip a switch Mm -hmm. to have electricity or you know dial your thermostat to have heat when it gets cold bump it up and then and know that you can bump it up because you have a job to afford to pay for it or you're in a state where natural gas cost today is exceptionally reasonable Mm -hmm. it won't stay that way no it's going to go through the roof and our taxes are going to go up and everything is going to be shifted where this isn't going to be a fun state to live in because we're taking it's going away to be too the one I think so. Yeah. I mean, I really believe that if you look at the economics and you're taking away the revenue, largest generator of revenue that provides so much for our state.
0: Mm-hmm. Where where's the money going to come from? That's a good question because we haven't figured that out yet.
1: No. Well, <laughs> I don't think our governor really cares to go that far. I think he's on a mission, right? His well, mission. it's going to
0: cost a lot of money to turn you into compost instead of <laughs> cremation. I
1: just want to know where they're going to keep my body the whole time it's composting. I'm because really like...
0: hoping that they dip me in bronze. <laughs> but, Tricia, moving forward on the show notes, what I'll do is put down the proper contact information so mm-hmm. those that are interested in joining the group Correct. and supporting the group can get in touch with you and Sam. Absolutely. Now, I know we're wrapping it up here. Yeah. So, you have taken us through everything you touch in a day. Uh, how you're maybe. not going crazy in, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, honestly, I don't even believe that you sleep if you told us that you did, but how do you stay proactive, uh, effective, efficient, and not just, you know, reacting to every fire? How, what, are, what is your secret sauce? How do you stay ahead of the game?
1: I work out a lot.
0: Um, yeah.
1: No, I, uh, I actually had a joke about someone asking me why I don't do it in the morning, and I said, because I have to build up, build up my frustration and aggravation and then have that evening workout just to take it out so I can sleep, but, um, you know, I'm very passionate, definitely, um, with regards to, you know, being a compliance specialist and, and about this industry. Um, and I live, eat, breathe it on a daily basis, literally. You that's know, that's awesome. And and for me, um, well, that's you know, why
0: you're an influencer.
1: Well, and I think the same thing too. Is I've said it more times than not. I really hate when you when you look at both sides, right? I'm very proud to say that I'm an environmentalist, right? And I and I take that and I say that to this industry. And I, I might get a nonverbal or a reaction to that because it comes with a negative connotation when you say you're an environmentalist mm-hmm. and oil and gas industry is not, we're separate, right? Yeah. We're not separate. No. Nope. Anyone in this industry. One and in the same. One the same. But you have your eco-terrorists, right? You have your environmentalists that have their picket and, and yeah. do their signage and do whatever, but if you actually follow them in their life you know, I think there's a difference there. Like what do they define environmentalists as? And for me, I'm not going to get away from wearing my shoes and mm-hmm. driving my car and, and being able to have the functionality of a voice over a podcast. I think these things, <laughs> well, I think they're amazing, Yeah. you know? And um, some, I'm so sometimes, I, you. <laughs> sometimes I'd love to throw my phone off a cliff, but you again, circle it back, 47 years old. When I grew up competing in skiing, I didn't wear a helmet. I didn't wear a helmet, I think, until my was child there, was overrated. five. Right. But that Right, but that same thing, you have, you know, not only do you have a movement against our industry, then you have the movement against plastic, yeah. right? Well, plastic is a byproduct.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: plastic has been, have given us some, some of the greatest products, you know, oh that God, come out yes. of plastic. And the thing is, is now we just want to not use straws, right? I mean, really? That so
0: is, I'm not a fan of the paper straws. We'll have I'm to have a whole other that. podcast
1: on that. But I think that's the thing. I think... I look at, well, take it in your title. I look at the audacity of that, right? <laughs> I like oh, my curious. chapstick, right? <laughs> Petroleum jelly. I love my, ch- I don't want that. That's a byproduct of oil and gas. Oh, I mean, yeah. educate yourselves. And for me, I don't have to, I mean, I can go off on rants and ever, but I don't think it does any good. I'd rather sit there and I have to get, I, I definitely <laughs> challenge myself with those in SOS. I have you know i get great emails and i get great commentator from some of our operators of like this is ridiculous and, and they do all the jimmy. shout out to jimmy they do all of their fire up you know actions mm-hmm. and what i try to do is say okay let's not and i said it in the very beginning when sam and i decided to how we were going to go about developing this group because i came into a meeting and said Y'all need to stop eating donuts, having coffee, and just mm-hmm. bitching. We, yeah, we have a voice. Stop
0: bitching. Stop
1: bitching about it and watching it happen around you exactly. and feel defeated before we're defeated. Come exactly. come to the table and There's
0: always a plan B.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to ever say that it's a war because again, I don't I think in essence people will say it's a war because what's said about this industry from the other <laughs> side that are those mm-hmm. that are so against it. But I've done other presentations, and what I don't like is I don't like lies.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I and it's a quote that I said before: deceiving the public doesn't help anybody, let let alone protect the environment. And we can't, and we you're can't do that it
0: in an election year. Come and, on, now. and we
1: can't do it. I know, right? I mean, it's it's the argument of climate change always, right? Yep. And and again, I'll tell you the same thing. I'll say to anyone analytically, climate is changing. Constantly, constantly, and but I mean <laughs> the fact is is that we can't just focus on one industry or one thing, or we can't say that Colorado is. You know, we're a landlocked state. Yeah. We have multiple states around us that for, affect our atmosphere here. Oh yeah, the United States. I mean, as far as I know, the world's round, and no, <laughs> right. So that is
0: debatable. And,
1: and and weather occurs, but the actions of others affect us. Yes. And so we can do as good as we can do. But what I don't understand is why can't we ever just switch to the positive? Mm -hmm. Why can't we ever just pat ourselves on the back and say, we've done an amazing job. And we (sighs) have in my 47 years, I feel like to what I grew up in, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think I wore a seatbelt in a car. There weren't child seats. And, (laughs) And all these things that change, good or bad, however everyone wants to take it, it's, protection, right? Protection of human health. We know so much more now. Uh Don't say that we're not doing something. Correct. Don't say that we're not making a movement for the better because I think that we are.
0: Oh, every day. Every
1: Every day. day. I think you
0: handle all this through just exercises. secret sauce.
1: No, I mean, yeah, right. Um, (laughs) secret sauce, having good banter with others that have similar interests, but also, I mean, I think, I don't have a problem to be challenged by someone what, you know, as we say, from the other side.
0: You're open to the conversation. I'm open to it
1: and I do it all the time. That's I awesome. I mean, especially in, in the fact that what happens is I they can ask me what I do for a living and I'm capable of saying I'm an environmental scientist and I think obviously you put environment or green in front of everything, mm-hmm. they assume they know where your standing's going to be. And then when I say what I do and that I work in an industry and I say, do you welcome a discussion? more times than not i've been very lucky mm-hmm. to get someone to look at me and to listen you know come oh come with a point of compassion yeah. but also say what is it that you think you know yeah. you know and ask me questions and yeah. if i don't know be able to do it and i've done that a ton especially about hydraulic fracturing especially about um regulations because i take it personal when someone says we're an unregulated industry. <laughs> Because if someone had to do the amount of reading that I have to do in yeah. the 20 years of my career and then continually do it and relearn every day when the changes every occur. Day. And you have to understand, I don't just work in Colorado. Yeah. I work throughout the U.S. So yeah, every exactly. state has different regulations. There's federal. Mm-hmm. So it's like telling us we don't have tax law. If you if you compare the... It depends and, if you
0: pay your taxes, Right.
1: <laughs> well, and, and I think the other thing is knowing where... Um, you don't have one regulatory body, Correct. right? Someone assumes that you go out and drill a well, um, that you only work under the commissioner, you only work under CDPHE. You don't. you yeah. w- You work under the federal government. You have Department of Transportation. You have to deal with the counties. You we deal are with roadways by
0: everybody.
1: Oh, I think if I think there there was a presentation once, and I think if you just look at the life of a well, right. Um, I think it was almost, I think 11 different organizations (laughs) that you have to account for, you know, check off the list, you know, either you file your exemption, you know, whether you're going to have to deal with something in that orientation or not Mm -hmm. in order to do that. And I don't think people know that. I don't think that they they Mm -hmm. understand that they may come to me for one component of compliance, but my network is very diverse to say, so what are you trying to do? Exactly. And I mean, I don't do everything. There's no way for one person to say that they're a one-stop shop in compliance. Oh, no. You so can't be. You can't be. And I think I love it, and I love to build my network. And I think you know, I learn a ton from the operators that are part of Small Operator Society. I love the history. I mean, you yourself, I think, yeah. can speak to that. You come from an oil and gas family. I and, do, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, I, if I attribute to a crumbling industry is I feel like, the future oil and gas, like the future farmers of America, is just getting overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like
0: it's unfortunate,
1: but it's the fundamentals. It's We're talking about of, fuel and food. I you know, know,
0: but you, you as an influencer, it's because of people like you that they will not be overlooked.
1: I hope not. I mean, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm former. I worked a ton. Um, well, worked a ton. I volunteer a ton. I was, um, I volunteered with Junior Achievement, and was supported by CRED, Colorado's for Responsible Energy Development. And it was, you know, Jay in a day I taught fourth grade class. Came in to take over. Um, I thought it was awesome. Fourth graders are sponges, oh my you God. know, and I had fun because we d- I had a lot of free reign, right? You mm-hmm. know, in that class, and
0: that's good to know.
1: It, it was good to know, and of course, I stay within limits of their educational level, but asking them where they think paper comes from and pencils, and mm-hmm. you know, how to. I mean, Teaching of course, them
0: about consumerism, consumerism,
1: <laughs> capitalism in a positive. Yeah. But also environmentalism, like understand that it's not just earth days one day, earth days every day, oh, right? Yeah. And but also the same thing, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you think I do? Or mm-hmm. how do I become you? And they were so cute. And I think one of my first days teaching that was very positive for me, which is it's nerve wracking no matter what you know, you know, to get in that environment, mm-hmm. was getting hugs, right? You <gasps> know, getting hugs from the kid after afterwards and like that excited. was so awesome. It was fun, you know, and just keeping them inattention to what you're trying to get across from them I think was awesome and then I was former president of Rocky Mountain Association of Environmental Professionals and I made sure that all sides were heard like anytime we had a presentation whether it was climate change or whatever political economy the environment we had Governor Hickenlooper at the time right before he left you know as governor he presented and you know, we made sure we challenged him with yeah. key questions like, "What are you going to do?" Oh, with? he probably you know? loved it. He did. He <laughs> did. But I, I work to try to keep that network out there. That it yeah. doesn't matter where my political affiliation is or where my education is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just hear all sides. You I know? love that.
0: So I'm hearing that the thing that makes you not go crazy every day are exercise and passion. And passion. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what is a book, podcast, or other resource that has brought you value that you think you oh God. should pay for it? It could be a Netflix documentary. I am a fan of the Ted Bundy tapes.
1: <laughs> honestly, you know, one of the biggest ones that I challenged and I had my daughter watch was Switch.
0: <gasps> that is such a good one.
1: And and I honestly you can get would that like online it. Easily, you can get it online, and I really feel like because it isn't slanted against any function of energy Mm -hmm. industry that switched to me was something that I wish would just go into the education system for people to understand that energy diversity based on geographics is key and that one energy does not work for all. And I honestly think that it was done very, very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there could be an ongoing series to that that explains a lot more. But there was so much that I learned um, in that movie that is always what I talk about. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite classes that I took my last year of college um, was Energy Futures. And it was actually taught by a professor who, very passionate, I actually worked for him. He had a restaurant, it was called Food Dance Cafe. (laughs) And John Schmidt, he's amazing. I consider him a mentor in my life, whether he knows it or not. I think he's still out there in Michigan doing something. Um, But he had one of the first kind of farm to table restaurants back in the early 90s and I That's slayed coffee and breakfast and worked through the lunch hour so I, I worked for him at 5 o'clock in the morning until 1 and I went to school pretty much from 1.30 on until the evening and he was my last class at night energy future 6 to 9 and it was pretty amazing because we built like an energy house but it was the fact right. of you know everyone's like oh we'll do solar we'll do whatever and then he challenged you well it's in this state and why would you you know <laughs> exactly. what I mean why would you do that but then we talked about politics right mm-hmm. this is energy future so we did fun little group sessions and of course you have you know I was in my last year but you had freshmen in that class in the environmental department that were like you know they want this huge house and they want this function of energy and you're like well,
0: they, how's it gonna they work to right, to, right? You should just automatically get <laughs> it right we we of course can have Something this for nothing
1: <laughs> yeah another one of you know one of those great things back then when you never thought you could get a degree in it but I mean I had courses in sustainable energy, uh, courses in sustainable environments, courses in permaculture, right? Permaculture. Yeah, but now it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, now it's like it is what it's grown into, and I used to laugh at those going, like, I care if I walk out and see 40 butterflies, right? I mean, I'm, ha- <laughs> But, I mean, you were getting a certification yeah. on those items, and you're just like, wow, you know, how far have we come today? Now you can get a degree in it. But I think that sticks with me. Mm -hmm. right, is looking at someone else's perspective in that class, and I had just come back from working, I I did some work down in Central Mexico, and so I had been working in the field, and I come back and sit there and go, oh my god, you know, these younger (laughs) generations in this class, they have so much to learn in the next four years of their career to say, wow, step out, you know, and we had debates, on OPEC, and it was just great because it it was very well versed and I'll take that away that that's where my passion comes from is I simple-minded doesn't work when you talk about energy I don't know I
0: love it well Trisha thank you so much for your time today your passion is infectious we love what you're doing for small operators both here in Colorado and how it'll play out across the lower 48 I cannot wait to get you back on, uh, probably sooner than you realize, be awesome. <laughs> because so much is happening this year. But just thank you for all that you do for industry, and thank you so much for taking the time today. No, and thank you. I appreciate it. Well, damn, so much to take from this discussion. Where to begin? Okay. Have you ever been told to know your stuff better than anyone else? Well, Trisha knows her sector better than anyone else in the field. Grace Gritton Oilfield at her core. What's happening in Colorado is a plague on the field, a threat to our cornerstones, and built on misinformation. You want to make a difference? Well, know your shit. As y'all know, 2020 is going to be a killer year, and there is a lot to do. So head on over to the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com to check out upcoming events, sponsorship opportunities, and what is happening around the oil patch. Hold on. One more thing before you go if today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, you can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement and until next week, give them hell.